your purpose in life is to find your purpose and to live it fully in heart and mind. So said Buddha, there is a reason for existence. We have a purpose. Our purpose is solely Deo Gloria. The chief end of man is to glorify the Lord. And this purpose, contrary to Buddha, is not found in our hearts, not found by our own strength, power, or might in any way. This purpose is found, sola scriptura. By the word of God alone, we find our purpose and we live that purpose. We live soli deo gloria, and we live a soli deo gloria life, sola scriptura. According to 1 Kings 12, God's word serves his glory. God's word serves his glory. We read the opening line of 1 Kings 12, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Shechem was a covenant renewal place. Shechem is where Israel vowed to serve the Lord alone. Listen to Joshua 24, verse 20. If you forsake the Lord, said Joshua, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then God will turn and do you harm and consume you. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and, they put, a, and put in place statutes and rules for them in Shechem. The Shechem statute was soli deo gloria. The Shechem rule was sola scriptura. Uh, Israel's identity at Shechem, Israel's identity would be the glory of the Lord, and Israel's direction would be the word of the Lord. They would obey the word of the Lord to live to the Lord's glory alone. You see, Shechem is the way for the Israel of God, wherein reverence and awe, soli deo gloria, we worship. And God renews his covenant with us in worship. He renews it sola scriptura by his word. And this acceptable worship takes us solus Christus to Christ alone, where we receive a kingdom sola gratia by grace alone and become God's unshakable people. We exist to glorify God and that existence is found in God's word alone. The existence of God's word in our life leads to a life of service, service to his glory. You see, the word of God gives us purpose, and that word works that purpose in us. So Shechem was a perfect place for this king, this new king, to confess his covenant faithfulness, and we expect vows to God's glory at this ordination service. We expect him to profess his loyalty to God's word. But somewhere along the way in Israel's history, somewhere along the way, that Shechem rule was lost. Somewhere along the way, Solomon's reign became Solomon's gloria. It became all about Solomon. So we read in verse 2, And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, he was in Egypt, 
Egypt's important, uh, it's important to the text, really. Then Jeroboam returned to Egypt, and they sent and called him, and Jeroboam, and they, sent, they all come, and, and here's what they profess to Rehoboam. Your father made our yoke heavy. At some point under Solomon's reign, Israel was yoked. And what's interesting with the text is it's Egypt 2.0, really. As Pharaoh yoked God's people outside of the land, those offspring of the serpent enslaved God's people. Now within the land, by God's people, Israel's enslaved once again. Enslaved with a heavy yoke. And now perhaps Rehoboam and Shechem, renewing that covenant fidelity, would return to God's word and would turn things around. And it kind of starts to look promising because he seeks the counsel of the old men. Verse 6, then the king Rehoboam took counsel with the old men that stood before Solomon his father, saying, how do you advise me? They were asking for freedom, right? They were no longer free in the land. They were yoked by Solomon. And now they ask to be served, not to serve, but to be served to lift the heavy yoke. And wisdom flowed from their counsel. Verse 7, and they said to him, if you will be a servant, if you will be a servant to this people, if you serve them and speak good words to them and answer them with goodness, then they will be your servants forever. That's godly counsel. Not to be served, the king's not to be served, but to serve. Good counsel. That's the counsel Martin Luther gives Christians when Martin Luther said, we are slaves of no one. In Christ, we are slaves of no one, but servants of all. As Christians, we are slaves to no man, but we are servants of all. You see, we belong to Christ, and in Christ, we are called to serve our communities, we're called to serve our neighbors, but especially, as Paul says, especially the household of God. You see, our life is solely Deo Gloria through service. But unfortunately, Rehoboam is no wise man, verse 8, but he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him, stood before him. Why does he follow the youth rather than the old elders, the old wise sage? But we all know that a 14-year-old child who abandoned school to go uh, protest parliament is the wisest of us all. We're not a wise society. But the ancient Near East was a wise society. They understood and respected the elderly. So why didn't Rehoboam listen to the elders? for the same reason your government and media want you seeking counsel from a 14-year-old. Control. He wanted control. You see, these young men, they owed their position to Solomon. And he knew that they would tell him what he really wanted to hear. He didn't want to serve. He wanted to be served. He was not a wise man. And they said to him, who had grown up with him, thus shall you speak. Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. No, my little finger is thicker than my father's thigh. 
Now, whereas where my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. He wasn't a wise man. He's Pharaoh 2.0. He's going to put God's people in bondage. And interestingly enough, just as Pharaoh reacted to the words of Moses by increasing oppression, right, when Moses came and then he turned up the notch and increased their persecution, so now Rehoboam, right, Rehoboam, they come to him, hey, we're being persecuted, and he returns it with more oppression, more promised oppression. And just as God hardens Pharaoh's heart to accomplish his will, we read in verse 15, so the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word which the Lord spoke to Isaiah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. The Lord turned these events, turned Rehoboam's heart, God was in control, to fulfill his word. You see, the Lord is sovereign. He's sovereign even over the affairs of man. All of life is soli deo gloria. It's always soli deo gloria. If you don't like it, it's still soli deo gloria. If you fight against it, it's still soli deo gloria. God will always win. God will always accomplish his will because he is powerful. And our finite minds can't even comprehend his glory and how great our God is. You can't escape soli deo gloria. Now, something very interesting happens in this text, or something very interesting is happening in this text. You recognize in this text that Yahweh, it says that he brought about, he turned the affairs of these men. Yet you never see God coerce. There's no coercion. He's not, coerce, he's not forcing the outcome. There are free actors in this text. These are free actors doing freely what they want to do. And what do free actors do? We do what our nature wants to do, and we are in nature sinful. So free actors freely sin. Yet twice in this chapter, the narrator notes that the human activity works in accord with God's will. This is the glory of God. His will is worked in our free actions. We remain free. Yet he remains absolutely sovereign. It's a mystery how our free wills work and God's ultimate sovereignty works. One thing that's not mystery is we know that he is absolutely powerful, sovereign. We know the Lord turns the affairs of history because he is God and he is God alone. He's bigger than your finite mind can comprehend. More than you can ever imagine. If you're a Bible, turn with me to Genesis 50. Here's another story of God's power that matches our text. Genesis 50. Before Israel goes into Egypt, we read in verse 50, verse 20. Chapter 50, verse 20. Here's where you underline and highlight and cross and, you know, highlight your Bibles. Unless you, like, highlight every verse. I know some of you highlight every verse, so it's just a highlighted Bible, and it makes no sense. Uh, then maybe you don't highlight this one so that it pops, it stands out. <laughs> Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive 
as they are today. You see, by their free will, Joseph's brothers meant evil. That verb meant means, it means to determine. They determined evil. But God determined it for good. Two verbs, they're both the same verb. Two verbs, they control the same outcome. Two verbs really show, the verbs really show who's in real control. God determined. Does this mean that God is in control of human will, human free will? Now, some will argue, no, 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 no. He's not that big. And they want to limit God because they want to, they believe in the sovereignty of man. So they make God in their own image, a really smart God who's, who's confident. He's really confident in the future, really smart dude. But he's never really sure. That's why you get Hitlers and so forth, right? What happened there? God's go scrambling. Oh, I don't know what to do with Hitler. Oh, no, the devil. What do I do with the devil? He's in the garden. Who let him in? Ah! That's not Joseph's God. He knew God was in complete control. He believed the brother's evil plan was truly meant by God. Joseph didn't believe in a helpless creator doing his best to bring things about. He believed that God is completely and absolutely sovereign. Our finite men's minds cannot comprehend. We cannot understand our God. When Lamentations 3 says, Who has spoken and it has come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? It is not from the mouth of the Most High. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Good and bad come from the mouth of God Most High. Deuteronomy 32 says, See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Isaiah 45, 7 I form light, I create darkness. I make well-being, I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And in him we've obtained an inheritance, having having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. And Armenians will ask us here, if God is sovereign, why pray? Why do you pray if God is so sovereign? And we answer, we pray because he is sovereign. Can you imagine a God who's too helpless to work all things together for your good? Can you imagine that? That your bald head has no purpose? except for comic relief for Pastor Jared. Thank you, Lord. That even the hairs of your own head fall without the Father's will? Don't comb over. God is absolutely sovereign, upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, all things, even the sparrows that fall to the ground, the most helpless things, Jesus says, even the hairs on your head Some of you, the Lord's really particular about your heads. He's really looking into things for you. (laughs) Why pray if God is not sovereign? And what about the gospel? 
Listen to Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. There's that verb again. According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That text tells us lawless men got to do lawless things. They were free. Their wills free. Yet God was completely in control of these evil men from the very beginning because God in control of evil men is the gospel. It's good news that he's in charge of evil. Because then, it's, if not, it's ubiquitous and it's a terrible place to live when, God, when things are just, you know, not ubiquitous, when things are just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, out of control. Lawless men meant to do Christ harm, and God meant it for good. Rather, lawless men got to do what they did, and God meant them to do it. That's how sovereign he is. He meant for them to mean it. You see, Judas freely delivered Jesus to the authorities, and the authorities freely wanted him to die, and Jesus said, not my will, O Lord, but your will be done. And how can Christ have so much confidence? Because Christ believed in the sovereignty of God. He spoke that sovereignty into existence. In John 6, 39, Jesus says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. No one can thwart his hand. He says in John 10, I give eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He's greater than free will. He's greater than wickedness. He's greater than evil. I create light. I create darkness. Nothing can supplant God's will. All creatures are so in his hand that without his will, the world cannot even move. Even the smallest article in this world, what is it, an atom? Is that the smallest thing in the world, an atom? Floating freely doing it? No, it's not doing its own thing. There you go, subatomic, whatever. Talk to the the physics. God is in complete control of all things, holding all things together. God controls history soli deo gloria. He controls it sola gratia to give us life eternal. So life is soli deo gloria because God's word is true and God's word always prevails. That's our text. Verse 16, and when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their own tents. But Rehoboam reigned over Israel. He reigned over Judah, but not for long. You see, kingship would not be imposed upon the people without their consent. And so Rehoboam didn't like that. And the king, verse 18, sent Adoram, the taskmaster. He sent this taskmaster to force them into labor, to bind them more. And, and Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee Jerusalem. Yahweh promised to strip the kingdom from Rehoboam, to give it to Jeroboam. Now it's coming about. Now the interesting thing about Jeroboam in this text, really Jeroboam in the whole story, Jeroboam never, he never does anything to receive the kingdom. He's really a passive agent in the text. He just kind of shows up. 
We don't know how he, he gets, like they invite him. They looked him, like Israel's looking to him as a leader, but we don't know anything about him. The text never says anything about him. He doesn't act. He just receives. He doesn't act. He just simply receives a kingdom. Because God's in control. That's the point of the story. Because God is doing it. Because all the glory goes to God alone because his word is coming to pass. His word is being fulfilled. Like Pharaoh, however, Rehoboam wasn't going to let them go. It's just the story of Moses again. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight. They're freeing themselves. They're leaving. Yet he will fight to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Rehoboam is unwilling to accept God's word. He's going to take back God's word. He's going to take back God's word. But when it comes to God's word, we have no power here. Verse 22, but the word of God came. As soon as Rehoboam sought to overcome this division, the text says, and the word of God came. The word of God came. It's coming with power. Because it's going to be effectual. It's going to accomplish its purpose. Because the word of God always accomplishes its purpose. Because God is sovereign. And his word stopped the war. You see, this is a story of a divided kingdom. It's the story of the kingdom dividing. But the real story behind this story is really the story of God's word. The Hebrew word for word in its root form, appears nine times. And in its verbal form, it appears 11 times. The word, word, God's word. And the fulfillment of that word, the point is that the fulfillment of the word is inevitable. God's working is his wording, and his wording works for his glory. We must live that word to live glorified in Christ as if we had never sinned or been a sinner, but as if Christ has been perfectly obedient for me as he sought to love the Lord, to give glory to the Lord in all that he did. I have come to glorify my Father, he prayed, and I have glorified you. And we find that glory in Christ where we in Christ can now glorify Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By faith, through the word. We need the word. But then the chapter ends kind of interestingly without the word. Verse 25, then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out there and built Penol. And Jeroboam said, what does it say? He said, in his heart. That phrase, in his heart, it means something bad's going to happen. Anytime in scripture it says, in his heart, you know that sin is coming. Because he didn't say in God's word, Jeroboam said, in his heart. You see, the word said, I will give you ten tribes. The word promised him ten, ten tribes, but his heart said, the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. Faith trusts God's word and the result is obedience, but the heart is dark and deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? So in his heart, he said, verse 28, so the king took counsel. Now he's taking counsel. 
must have been bad counsel because he made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods. O Israel, who brought you out of the land, brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is not faith, this is fear. You see, he was not convinced in God's word. He was not convinced by God's word, because God's word said, I've given you the kingdom. He wasn't convinced. He didn't trust God's sovereignty. So he lived by fear. And that is how we live when we don't trust God, when we don't trust his word, and when we're not patient. Half the problems in counseling is just a lack of patience. I don't want that pain. I don't want that trouble. I want what I want. And then we live by fear instead of faith, and we try to make our own way by fear, and we forsake patience. And we follow the way of misery. And then you come back to me. Well, I'm miserable. I said, well, yeah, of course. (laughs) You didn't follow God's word. You were fearful. So you aren't prepared to live solely Deo Gloria. To live Seodora Gloria is faith, not fear. We need to be strong in the Lord. And he set one, so by his heart, he set one in Bethel. So one of the golden calves in Bethel, the other put in Dan. Against God's word, God said, go where to worship? Jerusalem alone. And he said, one, and then this thing became a sin. They went to these high places. Then he made temples. Nope. Only one temple. And he appointed priests. Nope. Only Levites. And the text is even clear. They weren't of the people of Levites. They weren't Levites. That's the text saying he's not following God's word. And so you expect, you know, following the heart, it ain't going to go well with him. It ain't going to go well because he ain't following God's word. This is the heart. Jeroboam believed a religion was simply an act of political control. He believed religion was in the service of the state. So he built centers of worship in his own territory, one as far as up north in Bethel, or excuse me, north of Dan and one south in Bethel. And these sites violate God's word. And then he appoints these priests, which violate God's word. Then he appoints a festival, which violates God's word. And Jeroboam did will worship. He worshiped, will worship. That is, worship according to the will of man. Worship according to the will of the heart. Doing what I want to do. And his word in his heart was almost exactly the same as Aaron when Israel worshipped the first golden calf. When Israel came out and Aaron made that golden calf, when Moses was on the mountain and Aaron said, here are your gods, O Israel. You see, they were afraid, right? Why were they afraid? Moses was up on the mountain too long. When's he coming back? And then that fear. And then so Aaron said in his heart, here are your gods, O Israel. Who brought you up out of Egypt? Worship according to the heart in all forms uses God as a convenient symbol we can use to further our control. You see, rulers use God to subdue their people, and religion becomes a means of conquering. The false church uses God to contain its people, and religion becomes a means of money, power, and prestige. The true religion is a means to God's glory, and that glory is the gospel. Christ said, I came, 
I have come not to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom. So the cure to fear, the cure to the fear that ails you is to remember whom you were. Dead in your sins. Alienated from God. Imprisoned to this world. Yet Ephesians 1. In love, he predestined us, he predestined us to adoption according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. You have obtained an inheritance by Christ's blood, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And when you realize that, when you realize where God has brought you from, where he has taken you from that darkness, enslaved and brought you so far, when you remember that and you realize it, how can you not live for God's glory? How can you not want to give him all the glory? How can you not want to follow his word alone? And when you follow that word, you find that it leads to a life of peace and freedom. For the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the purpose of life is soli deo glory, and the way is sola scriptura, and we don't live by fear. Will I have this? Will I lose that? We live by faith and know that God, and know for certain that God works all things. Darkness and light, he works all things together for our good, for our God is sovereign. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.